Hi, this is Dan Cassetta. Welcome to Flashback Friday on Changing Lives, Selling Knives. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from people who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. Episodes feature some of Cutco's most prominent alumni and top achieving current leaders. Flashback Friday is your chance to hear a short piece of one of my favorite past episodes. We'll hand-select the best nuggets to share with you in this short form. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's flashback. Today, we are flashing back to the very first guest episode in the history of this podcast, following my introductory episode. These are the best snippets from episode number two with the legendary John Berghoff. John epitomizes the changing lives theme of this podcast as well as anyone we've ever featured. As a Cutco rep, John raised the bar of possibility for the entire company through his spectacular and unprecedented achievements along the way to becoming the youngest ever inductee into the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame. Now, as a respected business leader with an international following, John is teaching leaders how to multiply their influence as they embrace revolutionary challenges and opportunities. I'll have more to say both during and after this flashback episode, so let's get right to it with John Berghoff. John, I want to spend a lot of our time today talking about what you're doing now because uh, it's so compelling and uh, you're making such a difference in the world. But of course, we need to at least uh, get into a little bit of your Cutco story. So tell us whatever you want to tell us about your Cutco story, the early days and some of your experiences. When I think of my experience with Cutco, I don't think of it as an experience that ended when I was done selling knives and I moved on to other things in my career. It's It was really a gift that it has stayed with me more than any other experience I've ever had. And the further along I go and the more things I see and people I meet, the more clearly I'm able to realize how significant that Cutco experience was. I always knew it was significant, but it just becomes more clear every day. And I think one thing, and we can go wherever you want, but one thing that stands out for me when I think about it is I found Cutco at this interesting time in my life personally where I wasn't necessarily thriving in my life when I stumbled into Cutco. I wasn't thriving uh, socially. I wasn't thriving mentally, emotionally, psychologically, in all the ways that someone could be thriving or not. I was. It was actually at a time where I was really struggling. And what, was, what only became clear to me, I think even in the past few years, is that Cutco, for many reasons, the culture, the product, the training, the people, it really served as like a way out for me, a way out of a... Mm a path that I sometimes I don't even want to think where I would have ended up if I hadn't found Cutco. And it was, I think of, of the many beautiful things about the culture, the fact that it was such an inviting culture. It was a place where I could be myself, whoever I was, and still fit in. And 20 years later, as that's a question every human being asks every time they walk into a room of any group of people. Can I be myself and fit in? And I realized that was one of the reasons why I thrived there. And, and so many young people do is it's a place where whoever you are, you can find a place. And the rest was history. <laughs> I can remember you had a pretty decent start. But then when we got to our second big sales contest of that summer, which is called Push Period for Summer Conference 2, 
you asked me, you know, what's the record? And the record in company history for this two-week sales contest at the time was 23,100 and something. And, uh, and you said, well, I want to go for it. That two weeks, I think, was a transformational time. Do you recall that experience? I do. I recall it vividly. And um, you know, a couple of things you just said that bring me back. One of them is I, I remember you were my manager and I remember hearing you talk about this idea that in life, the outcomes or the rewards that we get to experience are often in proportion to how well we develop ourselves as people, right? And the, you know, the exact quote was probably along the lines of our income will seldom exceed our levels of personal development. And I just remember, I remember so clearly sitting there as a brand new rep. And I, I remember being afraid nobody would buy anything from me when I was in training. And there were certainly people that didn't buy and people that did. But I remember thinking to myself, what if this guy, Dan, what if he's right? Like, what if it's true that if I actually apply myself and I choose to learn that that's how the world works. And I, I remember thinking, as you said a moment ago, there was something about this job as weird as I thought it was and as uncomfortable as I was with the whole concept of selling knives. I was more attracted to this idea that maybe there's a deep truth, that maybe this is really how life works, that it doesn't respond to if I want something or if I need something, but have I really earned it? Do I really deserve it? So when you, when you said that a second ago, it reminded me of one of the big attractors is this just seems so much closer to the reality of how I think the world really works is mm. I get out of it what I put into it. That's awesome, John. What are some other moments that stand out as transformational from your, your Cutco experience? You know, you mentioned that, that first push period. I don't know if you remember this, but one of our team meetings, uh, actually, it was at the first summer conference. I'm sitting in the front left row. It was Sacramento, California. And you can't forget it because the air conditioning was broken. And there are a thousand young people sitting in this summer conference one. I had only been working for two weeks. And it, like I had had an average start. And it was the closing message of Is that conference. this the famous conference when Mark Lovis was, uh, was speaking? That's right. Yeah. That's what I was going to share is yeah. uh, it was a pivotal moment for me because Mark's closing the conference with this message called Flip the Switch. And he talked about how when the why is strong enough, the how will reveal itself. And as soon as he was done talking, I walked right up to Ed Reed. And I said to Ed Reed, I said, Ed, I'm going to win the next push period. And what I was doing is I was just committing myself because I thought if I can just invent a bunch of reasons to want to follow through on my commitments, maybe that's a good idea. And, and then the next week at one of our team meetings, you or one of our assistant managers, I think, talked again about the power of purpose and how important it was for us to really consider why is it that we're doing what we're doing? And which is an idea that lives, that is so alive in my work today. Uh, we just finished a huge research project studying across a thousand employees in the U.S. workforce. Like what is it that leads to certain types of successes in organizations? And there at the top of the list is a transcendent purpose. And we can talk about what that is and how people create it in teams and cultures today. But you were doing it 20 years ago. And I remember you had me take a piece of paper and you, somebody said, fill the piece of paper with as many reasons as possible why it is that that goal that's written on the other side is important to you. And that piece of paper I kept with me for that push period. And I would turn it over and I'd look at it. And I had 50 different reasons why I wanted to succeed. And that was such a pivotal lesson early in my life and the importance of flexing the muscle to keep asking, why do I want this? So that was a big learning early on when I think about that push period too. 
you sold 26,000 in those two weeks. You broke the record. And then, of course, the next year, you nearly tripled that record mm-hmm. in the same contest. And then, of course, became one of the most illustrious salespeople we've ever seen. So often I get asked the question, what was it about John Berghoff? And I'd like to turn that question around onto you, you know, as you broke sales records and became truly one of the greatest achievers the Cutco Vector Sphere has ever seen. What was it that helped you to accomplish all those goals? I think it was a combination of things. A part of it, Dan, is I said this earlier that when I found Vector, I wasn't thriving in my life. And a lot of what motivated me was I thought, man, I've been given such a gift of an opportunity here to finally get to be who I want to be, to discover what my strengths are. And in many ways, my motivation came from the other side of a lot of pain. Because as a young person, I had a a lot of painful experiences. And I had a mentor recently who helped me to realize that so much of what we eventually do in our lives and in our career is often to heal some part of our soul. It's to create wholeness. And um, I think I was lucky that Vector gave me an opportunity to right away heal a lot of pain that I had, just not enjoying my life. I thought, this is such a gift. It was so easy for me to see what a gift it was to have that opportunity because of how much struggle I was facing at that very same time in my life. But then I think it was... um, I think it was being around people. And I think so much of what allowed me the fortune that I had with Cutco was just the quality of the people around me. I mean, here you and I are talking and I've had people ask me, they say, how lucky were you to have Dan in your life? And not to discredit you, Dan, but you're, you would understand this more than anybody. I often will tell people, I'll say, well, if you really knew how lucky I am, you'd know that I've had 10, 20, 30 Dans in my life. Many of them I met in the Cutco organization. So I think it was a big lesson for me that uh, I stumbled into. I wasn't so smart to surround myself with these great people. It was just a gift of the culture. But it's definitely a lesson I try and live with today, which is to just to really protect who do I allow into my space and who do I give my time and energy to and to recognize that as I evolve and I change, I might want to think about changing and evolving who I want to be around and the environments I want to be around. I know I worked hard. I know I was passionate about learning. And I was very clear about who I wanted to be learning from. And you may remember this, that when I was a young rep, you know, for some reason, it seemed so simple to me. I thought, well, I just have to find who's mastered the process. And then I got to find what are they doing, right? And then model what they're doing. Find the master and then model the master and then master the models that they're doing. I think that was so key was just being super conscientious of who am I around and, and who do I want to be more like in my life and how do I get near those people? I hope you're enjoying this look into the great life and career of John Berghoff. John certainly got around all the right people, both in Cutco and after Cutco. He's gone on to found Exchange, through which he teaches and facilitates a leadership methodology that has been implemented in some of the world's leading organizations. Moving forward in our conversation here, John begins to describe what he is doing now with Exchange to transform the way leadership is taught and executed throughout the world. There's just a convergence right now of changes in the world that are really causing us all to ask, 
why are we going to work? And how are we really tapping into the hearts and minds of those we work with? Because we've never been before in the history of humanity at a place in a time where the world actually needs, it demands that we figure out how to solve some of the biggest, most complex problems. And simultaneously, what we're seeing is that the way that we are leading people in communities and in organizations needs to change so that we can more naturally, more effectively on a bigger scale and much faster actually solve these big opportunities. So there's a real convergence that has come together and we're just playing a role in that. And, you know, in a nutshell, what we really do with our work is we're teaching leaders how to design and facilitate conversations that bring out the strengths, not only individually, but also collectively, and to do it really quickly at speeds that many would think are unimaginable. And to do that in the name of sometimes it's how do we accelerate the learning in this organization? Or how do we enable this team that maybe doesn't trust each other? Even worse, there's toxicity in how they're relating. How do we not just turn that around, but actually create a shared vision? Or how do we get this group to create a shared strategy together to capture their biggest opportunities? We need to change the questions that we are asking ourselves so that we can get more connected to the purpose of our work, so that we can figure out what our strengths are, so that we can create shared visions and opportunities and execute on all that in the face of dramatic complexity. I bring the questions, I move them in and out of the conversations, but I get to see the good in people always comes out. The good in human beings always arises, even when there's a lot of tension, even when everything is on the line. And that's one of the cool things to get to see. Wow. I'm wondering, John, how can an individual listening to this uh, today, how can they apply some of what you just shared uh, in their own life and in, in achieving their own goals and establishing their own visions? Yeah, I think there's a couple things right away. One of them is, and we've talked about this maybe indirectly, but to, to be more direct about it, I think, first of all, being willing to embody curiosity because the work that we're doing, what we're really doing is we're enabling curiosity at scale and at speed, right? When you present a question to 200 people, they are by default having to get curious very quickly. But as an individual, I learned this 20 years ago with you. That along with that desire and that drive to perform and to succeed, I have to have an equal balance of curiosity and humility and desire to learn and to, and to wonder, how does the world work? And what's motivating me right now? And are they the kind of motivations that I want to have motivating me? And why am I doing what I'm doing? And you know, how can I find joy in what I'm doing? What kind of future would I love to see happen a year from now? And how do I want to go to work every day? Who do I want to be? And what would it actually look like to live out these values? So these types of questions unlock the kinds of discoveries that even as an individual are what some would consider to be the most important questions and internal conversations to have. But it all starts, in my opinion, Dan, with the kind of authentic curiosity that truly comes from a place of humility, where we deeply are interested, not just in asking the best question, but in even listening to what emerges within ourselves, right? What answers come up when I ask these deep questions? Am I willing to stop even just for a second and to pause 
you know, when you push pause on a machine, it stops working. You push pause on a person and it starts working. And when I pause, I like to ask deep questions. I like to listen to the answers and then ask, what do I want to do about that now? How do I want to take action differently? What do I want to start doing or stop doing based on being willing to stop and reflect? I think those are lessons from our work that we do on a large scale that all of us individually can play with every day. John just rattled off about six or eight questions that everyone listening can spend time considering. What's motivating me right now? Are they the kind of motivations that I want to have? Why am I doing what I'm doing? How can I find joy in what I'm doing? What kind of future would I love to see happen a year from now? How do I want to go to work every day? Who do I want to be? And what would it actually look like to live out these values? Back this up and listen to those questions again and take some time in serious reflection about what you want and who you want to be. The questions we ask ourselves begin to change our lives even before the answers arise. John Berghoff, more than anyone I know, is expert at asking the kinds of questions that lead people to amazing places in life. I want to encourage you to revisit episode number two if you want to hear more of this. And if you love John Berghoff as much as I do, check out episode number 300, which was a special conversation between me, John, and Hal Elrod, our most popular CLSK guest ever. John also referenced the legendary Mark Lovis and a message he gave at a conference way back in John's first summer with Cutco. Mark was featured on the podcast in episode number 154, and the best snippets were pulled out for our Flashback Friday episode number 337. Put those on your list to listen to as well. To wrap this up today, I wanted to tell you about a positive experience I had with one of my favorite purchases in life, an electric mountain bike. I live in an area with lots of trails and great spots to ride, but there are also lots of hills. And while I wanted to get some exercise, I didn't want to suffer. So I was really excited to discover e-bikes back before they were so popular. And I've had a superhuman trail bike since 2016. Almost eight years later, they graciously helped me with some service on my bike. I told them I would share my experience and they're offering you, our listeners, a discount on any of their awesome bikes. They have lots of different shapes and sizes, and their prices make owning an e-bike approachable for just about anyone. Check out the full selection of bikes at superhumanbikes.com, and if you enter the code DANC, they'll give you 10% off any bike. So if you've been thinking about getting an electric bike, now's the time. I appreciate your support of this podcast, and I hope you have enjoyed this flashback episode with my good friend, John Berghoff. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's flashback episode of Changing Lives Selling Knives, you can find the full episode and show notes at changinglivespodcast.com. You can also sign up there to receive free resources from me and some of our amazing guests please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player 
and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 